0: All right. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on and just being able to do your thing and talk about what you do best.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So yeah, do you want to tell people a little bit about who you are and kind of what you do?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, My name is Ed Luce. I'm a San Francisco-based cartoonist, also an educator. I teach uh, in the Comics MFA program and Illustration program at California College of the Arts. So a lot of what I do professionally with the blah Oaf comic, I'm, I'm trying to impart to students, whether it's, you know, the, the script writing, the thumbnailing, character design, uh, down into actually making the pages. And then kind of my forte, as, as you may remember from the, the talks that I gave, is also merchandising and coming up with shorts, uh, collaborating with other artists to make figures, music, uh, so I really am a firm believer in taking kind of a multimedia approach, which has been the way that comics have been moving for for years. I mean, especially as they become popular in film, you see all the merchandising coming out from, you know, the mainstream Marvel movies and things like that. So I've really, in my own career, embraced that, um, taking both as a character and maybe not turning him into like the queer version of Hello Kitty, but I have gotten <laughs> that a little bit here and there. Um, But I'm a fan and I I like to make merchandise the kind of things that I buy from, you know, my favorite types of properties, intellectual properties. I like to put that out in the world because I know that there's an audience for that. Um, So yeah, um, Wovable Oaf is a comic about a big, scary, hairy dude who lives in San Francisco has sort of had an abysmal dating record and becomes smitten with the lead singer of a disco grindcore band. So He sort of manages to work a date and they they go on essentially the date from hell and it sort of ends in in a, a celebratory but also uncertain note. That's the first arc in the first book that came out from Fantagraphics. I have released a bunch of of little short stories and side stories that also exist in that world and kind of uh, look at and and process my love of metal music, obviously, heavy metal music, also fashion. There are a lot of cats in the comics. So (laughs) it's really in the way that like Simpsons or South Park or any number of kind of cartoon worlds that exist, uh, they cover a lot of ground and the creators use it to to talk about things that they're passionate about or excited about. Um, So I kind of do the same thing with with wobble but the heart of it is is the you know sort of big scary hairy guys and the people that love them and cats as i i call it
0: how many cats do you actually own
1: I only have one <laughs> the genesis of the whole project was i had ended a long term relationship Rather than break the cats up, I let him take the cats and I just missed them. I moved to San Francisco and I kind of, as I was creating the comic, made it all about like what I would have liked to have had. You know, it was kind of some fantasy fulfillment kind of going on in there. And if I, you know, if I could, I would have as many cats as the oak does, but I only <laughs> have one <laughs> and her name is Luna and she may appear. She may make an appearance. Uh, <laughs> I cannot control her. But I do get that question sometimes. Like, How many do you have? I've only ever had two at once. Uh, not like the dozens. I think there's a line in the comic where someone <laughs> asks him and he's like, I've lost track. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, that was going to be my question because it's such a prevalent plot line. Not only is it him, but his dad helps run <laughs> the cat orphanage.
1: That's yes, for wayward kitties who need lots of love. Yeah. I mean, I I, I am a cat person. I grew up with dogs. And um, as I became an adult, I sort of realized I'm not responsible enough to have a dog. <laughs> you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a good enough of a, a pet uh, caregiver to, to have a dog. But cats seemed like an interesting option. And the first one I had... I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is more my personality. They, <laughs> they just want to be left alone, fed occasional cuddle and, you know, clear their litter box. But otherwise they're as low maintenance as I can, I can kind of handle outside of maybe a fish. So I grew to kind of love them definitely. And as I said, miss them, you know, when I, I didn't have them in my life anymore. So um, yeah, I do a lot of the humor from the comic is me observing the weird relationship that we have with these wild creatures that we just kind of let into our lives and have no idea what they're thinking
0: yeah because going back to what you were saying too before is Wovable Oaf was the character himself was kind of a fulfillment of what you wanted so does the Oaf have a bunch of qualities that you also hold
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I come from a fine arts background. So, you know, I, uh, I went to grad school um, and, and sort of studied conceptual art. So when I came to making a comic, the the Oaf is kind of the sweet side of me, and my my tastes and my interests physically very much much not me. I'm I'm five <laughs> five, and these days I'm kind of like one eighty ish, but I'm not the big guy that that he is in, in the comic. I mean, he's like you know six something and and you know close to three hundred pounds probably. His love interest is more physically like me, uh, the character of Eiffel, who is the lead singer of the band Ejaculoid. He's more 5'5". He's like the shorter guy and, and a bit more spelt than I am. But together, they are kind of this conceptual self-portrait. They're sort of two halves of my personality. Eiffel is all of the sort of um, less charming aspects of my personality, This sort of, pettiness and short-temperedness and bossiness uh, so as a Gemini I also kind of fit <laughs> the two halves together and it I've often referred to the comic as a kind of a kind of self-portrait of, of me yeah
0: yeah that was literally what I that's crazy you literally took the words right out of my mouth I was going to ask if both characters were kind of an amalgamation of qualities that you also have not just Oaf, but also Eiffel because they're so Night and day and counteractive to each other, it seems like that has to be separate qualities that one individual has. At least that's how I interpreted it.
1: Yeah, very compartmentalized. And I always say also too that Oaf is sort of like the child my mom raised to be sweet and kind and nice and patient. and then yeah, Eiffel is is sort of the exact opposite. But as the story kind of progresses, they influence each other a little bit. Oaf learns to stand up for himself a little bit more and Eiffel learns to be a little bit more patient and and nice. And not so bossy, so yeah. I mean, I think as I get older, I, those qualities mix together in me too, and I'm I'm a little less about extremes. So it's an ongoing, you know, project and ongoing portrait too.
2: So I saw you're a big cosplayer. Uh, your Halloween costume is really like really cool. You put a lot of effort in them.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, the difference between Halloween costume and cosplay is just where you wear the outfit, kind of. Um, So I haven't done so much of that, actually, at shows. But I do, for Halloween, I dress up every year and definitely take tons of pictures of it. So maybe it looks like I'm a little bit more of a cosplayer than I actually am. But um, yeah, no, I definitely have a love of really detailed costumes. You know, a couple of years ago, I dressed up as Ricky from Trailer Park Boys. I don't know if you're familiar um, with
2: this. Oh, I missed that picture. That's what I was telling you about. Yeah, you're very interested in Trailer Park Boys, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I love them. For a time, um, they were... Sort of a big influence on the comic, especially in the early years, because there's an obvious homoerotic thread kind of running through the whole thing.
0: Oh, especially with Mr. Leahy and uh, Randy. I mean,
1: that's right on the surface, but I think it's either Countdown to Liquor Day or the first movie. Maybe it's the second one, uh, Countdown to Liquor Day. Uh, Randy and Julian have this real weird... Randy runs away from Leahy and starts hanging out more with Julian. And at one point, it, it's inferred that something happened between Randy and Julian. And Ricky gets really jealous, and you could read on his face that he's really mad about it. And um, yeah, I think it's it's just sort of simmering under the surface there, whereas Randy and Leahy are really overt. So. Yeah, I was really into that because obviously they're big oafish guys, and uh, they're wovable oafs, I think, in that that tradition. <laughs> if that's a type of person, uh, so yeah, I really loved that that show. Um, I kind of stopped watching it when it moved to Netflix because they, I think they lost, they lost the director.
0: They lost a lot of the creative passion behind it. And the quality of the camera work, it got good. And that was what I liked about it most was that it was bad.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was real messy and dirty, quick and dirty. Um, And yeah, the movies, I think, lose a little bit of that as well, but maybe make up for it a little bit story. Yeah, big fan of them. But yeah, I dressed up uh, as Ricky. You could get an official shirt. And as soon as I, I could buy that from, from their web shop, I was like, I'm dressed up as Ricky. So, you know, I did the, <laughs> uh, the goatee. I grew my hair out a little bit. I even made a, a cup out of the bottom of ginger ale bottle. Like and half. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I was a Brightburn. Uh, A couple years ago as well from that movie Uh, was able, again, find a mask on eBay and then make the rest of the costume um, myself. Because I I really loved that that movie. Sort of, I think, more of like a cult film than one that a lot of people are familiar with. So, yeah, um, I I dressed up as Nick Cage from Mandy.
0: Oh, I didn't (laughs) see that one. I've wanted to see that.
1: Yeah. um, They had a shirt with the 14 on it and uh, I got a wig and I made my own axe from just a halloween prop uh, a couple years ago so yeah uh, i like doing it taking it to the nth degree like as far as i can so i I just have to get back to shows uh, and i'll start wearing them again and maybe that that'll become a cosplayer i guess officially
0: yeah no that's crazy that you went as nick cage i feel like nick cage especially right now is just involved in all sorts of horror but it was really interesting too, because the one cosplay that especially stood out to us that we were talking about was you actually went as the Waffle Oaf's other identity. You did Goat Blood, correct?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I do have a uh, Ericer spammer who is a Phoenix-based sculptor um, was able to make a costume uh, of the Goat Blood. Uh, so I didn't mention that at all in my my sort of intro. Of, of he has a past as a professional wrestler and a sort of satanic metal-themed professional wrestler. So Eric was able to make a helmet, um, you know, with uh, horns that you could disassemble. They were magnetic, so he put those on there and then he made leggings out of fur (laughs) and uh, a tail. And I was donated um, through a fan of uh, some sort of hoof-like rubber shoes. So uh, the first tour that I did for, for the first Oath book, I was able to ask someone I knew in every city to dress up like the goat character. And then I would either be a referee, I would dress up in sort of like a, a referee shirt.
2: I was going to say, I thought that was you. I was going to say, that's cosplaying
1: no i wish i was that size again like i'm nowhere near as big enough but i know some some pretty big guys um uh that you know can totally embody it physically embody it um no i'm so not (laughs) the right shape for that
0: (laughs) i was about to say because you were you were saying you know i don't look like the oaf and i was like that was a pretty good cosplay of goat blood though (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. No, like I said, I, I am lucky enough to know there are enough fans out there um, who can kind of pull it off and who are unselfconscious, don't mind taking their shirts off and you know putting on these ridiculous uh, leggings and the helmet, especially. I don't know how they wear it. I mean, it's it's hard like resin plastic. Mm-hmm. And it has uh, ventilation in the eyes, but kind of nowhere else. So I have to uh, put a little sponge. I, I uh, Velcro it into the top so that it can sit on somebody's head because it's it's just hard plastic if they don't have any hair but yeah I would have uh, someone dress up for I, the, I think that one of the last times I did it was at uh, San Diego Comic-Con somebody dress up and pose so it's a fun photo op you know for people to come by it draws attention to your booth that sort of thing
0: it's so interesting because going back to where you said that you know you had a fan that wasn't uncomfortable to just take their shirt off and do kind of a photo op as a character you know that's The outside world that you've built because there's so many people now that have a much more positive image of their body because I think the messages you implement and lay the groundwork for in the Wovable Oath are very there's all sorts of shapes and sizes there might be people that don't like you for this shape and size but everyone has preferences that doesn't mean that nobody is going to like you for that shape and size.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when I started out um, in like 2006, 2007, kind of putting bringing the idea together, kind of dreaming it up and starting to draw it. um, I was aware, at least when I would go to comic shows and especially queer comic creators, there were there were artists who were kind of doing that body type. We call them bears um, in the gay community. But not the book that I kind of wanted to see. And I wanted to do one that was about that type of character as the main character and not like sort of a side character that is the butt of a lot of jokes or, you know, um, has a sort of judgmental arc about their their bodies. I know, you know, kind of Shrek. That, uh, I think, was kind of the beginning of that conversation where you don't have to conform to a certain body type to be appreciated and loved and accepted for who you are. So I really wanted to put that forward in kind of more of a queer setting with Wobble with Oaf. And, you know, as a consequence, I was already, I knew I was celebrating the bear type, but I, I didn't dream that anybody beyond that would be interested in the book or in the storyline just because it was it was dealing with gay characters. But what I found was there were a lot of straight guys out there who were do
0: what <laughs> they are talking to you yeah yes
1: yeah, seriously like okay I get that this is celebrating this body type and I may not be gay but I understand that this is this is someone at, who, who appreciates and who's following appreciates my body type so I've heard here and there from people about how they didn't know that they were attractive until or they hated themselves until they saw my comic and you know, they saw how the character was treated and they saw how people were reacting to it. and it, it it enabled them to kind of embrace themselves. Um so I think that that helped expand actually the audience beyond that initial you know sort of gay community, the bear community. That was the first time that I sort of thought, oh, this might have legs, and I think uh, fanographics, Became aware of that as well. That it had a bit of a crossover appeal because it was it was celebrating a body uh, body type and body positivity on top of that.
2: Yeah, I I definitely feel from your comics you brought a lot of life to the characters. You've transcended what it means. Like, I mean, when I saw your stuff, I felt pretty good when I was reading it. Obviously, I'm not wrestler size, but I'm like, <laughs> you know, there's a lot a lot of positive uh, body positivity. I definitely went through a phase where I felt like, you know, I wasn't attractive, wasn't good looking. But like these are the same things that somebody told me one time, like you just gotta appreciate the things that you have. It doesn't matter what other people see, you know, it's definitely what you feel has beauty and you are beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's great. I'm, I'm so glad that, that that comes across, that just sort of celebrating the diversity in body types. I mean, if you look at Oaf and you look at Eiffel, very different physiques. Uh, they, you know, love and care each other about each other. And hopefully there. I think, I, I feel like many of the characters of, of different body types in the story, develop their own followings. You know, a lot of people just have their favorite because there's a lot of diversity, at least in in the physiques of the characters, especially the hairiness too. I think guys hate how hairy they are. They feel unattractive. But again, that's my favorite part of the drawing. I save it for last. It's kind of my treat to kind of come in and, and do it all.
0: <laughs> do it's the hair.
1: It's a very therapeutic, you know, almost meditative thing that I do um, uh, at the end for drawing all of the characters. So I feel like that's my bread and butter, too. It's like I've kind of made a career on that that cross-hatching to a certain degree. But yeah, it's trying to sort of say not only is body type, you know, body diversity something to embrace and celebrate, but also that that her that has, I think, uh, you know, I grew up in the 80s and it was all about waxing and shaving. Um, you see that less nowadays uh, because people, I think, are um, learning to love themselves a bit more.
0: Yeah. And it's especially crazy just because, like you said, there's people of all different shapes and sizes. And like I'm I've got to be almost 60, 70 pounds <laughs> bigger than you. But I, I also have way less hair. I'm super hairy. Yeah, <laughs> <You got, laughs> a... that's another thing.
2: You made me feel a lot better about my hair.
0: <laughs> but no, there's you know this whole community and this entire world outside of the comics that you've created now, because you've opened a dialogue for people to be able to talk about these things. And I I was going to ask too: Has there been backlash from some of the things that you tackle in the comics? There's a lot of. Kind of nudity, but really well hidden nudity and a lot of sex, but also really well hidden sex.
1: Well, yeah, that's another thing too. Um, you know, I uh, enjoy queer erotic comics. Um, I always knew I wasn't going to be very good at that. I think there are other people that are way better at that than me. Um, so uh, when I started writing and drawing the oath, I I, I knew I wasn't going to get too explicit with it, but I didn't want it to be, you know, completely sexless. Uh, I didn't I but I also wanted to make sure I was kind of walking a line where I could make The bear community, the queer people that were going to obviously maybe be the audience for it, enjoy it, but not have what I call deal breaker images (laughs) where I got too explicit with it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a sex scene that happens sort of towards the end of the first main story arc that happens almost completely in the dark because Oph is embarrassed and and um, hasn't been you know been with anybody in a while and he's shy. So there's a lot that's kind of implied in that as well. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I I just only maybe two penises in the entire book but i do hear from some people i've gotten that gif of the hot dogs hitting the girl in the face
0: (laughs) um when when somebody
1: has done i think a review on that website goodreads and i was like there's two dicks in it like if you're if this is your first queer comic
0: that's very tame
1: you could open up another book not mine and get hit with a lot more (laughs) That But I tried to be uh, kind of discreet, again, not because I'm, you know, a particularly crude person, but I knew that if it would overly sexualize that I might not, it might not be as welcoming, let's say, to uh, people from outside the gay community.
0: Yeah. And it was, it's also just odd that people would be over the top about it just because of the fact that it's, it is, you know, a queer comic, but it's a comic that's about dating and romantic life, and sex, if you don't expect to see a penis, <laughs> it's kind of, what else do you expect to see?
1: Yeah, I think, too, that I was kind of aware that the body types I was talking about and the hairiness of the characters, that is, in and of itself, kind of intense for some people. That is already highly sexualized for some people, so or fetishized or whatever. So I often think that they're more reacting to that than any actual straight-up nudity, like the act of drawing a bigger guy with a hairy chest is like, whoa, for a lot of people. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's weird. Sometimes I don't think I go far enough for people who are, you know, g- uh, gay readers that are used to more erotic comics. I definitely don't go far enough. And I go too far for, for a lot of people <laughs> who have never read a queer comic before. So, you know. But I also
0: I'm feel just like... I'm just
1: making what I want to make.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I feel like at the end of the day, too you're writing not necessarily an erotic book. It's all about, it's very plot-driven, very uh, much about the messages and different concepts and topics that you're talking about. So you don't want to just litter it with nudity that doesn't serve a purpose. So the one question I want to ask too was how did you even come up with the entire concept Of the character in the comic. Because there's so many. Like I was reading. Because I actually. When you first came to school. I had gotten the second book. So I completely didn't know what the fuck was going on. (laughs) Because (laughs) it's like a prequel. It's like an origin story. So then when I was reading the first one a while ago. I was taken back. Because I was expecting it was going to be more goat blood
1: yeah yeah the second book is kind of a a collection of short stories that appeared in other uh, anthologies uh i did uh, a 16 comic strip run on vice uh, back when vice was running uh, every, every week. Yeah. Um, so that one's kind of like the odds and sods color collection. But yeah, the first book is 264 pages. It's wubble, wubble, of zero through four, and then all of the little mini comics that I did. And it's much more of a, a structured story. So I often wonder, uh, someone that picks up Blood and Metal, which is the color book that, that you got the second one what they think, because it's just kind of all over the place. And it is much more about the goat blood character and the wrestling and metal stuff. It's called Blood and Metal because it's it's covering the bases of wrestling and, and music. So, yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing, though. I, I really enjoyed both because, again, the short stories, they their short stories to form a cohesive, more overall plot as to what's going on. You know, I'm trying to remember... What's what is the wrestling corporation that? What is it called?
1: It's called Wank.
0: That's what I thought. Okay.
1: Yeah, Wrestling Association of National Champions. You know, right. I had to make it quasi sexual because <laughs> to me that's what what wrestling is, and, and that is actually um, another aspect. I think um, another reason why the book crossed over a little bit because. I wasn't afraid to embrace some pretty popular um, things like wrestling and heavy metal music. I think that that helped expand the audience out a little bit beyond that core of gay fans. A lot of of my friends like wrestling. Obviously, it's two guys, you know, mostly uh, (laughs) naked guys grappling and throwing each other around. But the metal aspect of it, I don't have hardly any friends gay friends that like metals so, <laughs> um that actually proved to be an inlet for as i said another sort of um, th- you know thread of the audience and was metal fans i put uh a sort of almost Scooby Doo like cameo. Uh, that's a really dated reference, but hopefully, some people <laughs> that listen to this will get it. Of Carrie King from the band Slayer, I had two of the characters from the band at Jackaloid stalk him and give him their demo tape. And <laughs> as soon as word got out that there was a Carrie King comic at a lot of shows, I started to see the metal fans come in and and be curious. They were just collectors of you know, um, heavy metal comics and and or, and or like Slayer. So as soon as I saw that people weren't alienated by the gay content, if they weren't gay, um, I started to turn up the volume a little bit on that as well and, and make some more stories that were just about heavy metal too. So yeah, I think um, my desire to embrace these two things that in a lot of ways have a history of homophobia attached to them has distinguished me a little bit as well. I'm not afraid to you know, queer, some of these things that, um, are mostly celebrated by straight guys.
0: Well, it's especially funny too, because in an interview that you've done before, you know, you had said that you took these two industries, industries being metal and wrestling that are known for homophobia, but also known for being some of the most (laughs) homoerotic industries
1: Yeah, I mean, when you were asking me earlier about, like, has there been pushback about any of, of, you know, sort of the stuff that I've done, I am still kind of waiting for that with the wrestling (laughs) and the, the metal thing. But I think it's a testament to how much those things have actually started to change. I mean... 10, 15 years ago, maybe the lanes were, if I were to generalize, a little bit more clearly defined. But, you know, in, in heavy metal, there have been a lot of musicians who have not only come out as queer, but have started to come out as non-binary. Uh, and in wrestling, uh, especially in the underground, in the indie circuit, increasingly there are lots of queer wrestlers, non-binary, trans, um, drag wrestlers, in addition to gay and lesbian wrestlers that are, are highly visible and most of them haven't broken through to the two main wrestling associations like WWE and AEW, although AEW has certainly had some of those folks come into primetime, but it's starting to change. So maybe, you know, I don't need to be so self-conscious about it anymore. Uh, there's been a reckoning about the queerness of those two things that's that started to
0: happen. Yeah. And then did you want to, because I know you wanted to talk about yeah, I know. I'm. I'm
2: sorry. I haven't been speaking. <laughs> He's it's, just in awe. I, well, no. Like you had you had a whole direction you wanted to go.
0: Mm-hmm. I want no, to feel don't... free to just jump in with whatever you want. I know,
2: but like <laughs> I like your questions. That's the always <laughs> problem. You always ask such good questions, and like I like when the guests speak. I like when the guests get the spotlight to
0: talk about themselves. Yeah, it's so easy for us to just get carried away and just sit and like, and d- like I've, just just gape at there, their guests. There have been episodes
2: where I'm just quiet. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I want to double back on your costumes because I was doing research on just like just you not just wo Oath. Uh, in 2010 you said somewhere you had a mutual friend and you tried pitching the idea to, uh, of a comic to the trailer park boys like what was that going to be about like were you gonna draw the f- pictures of them like what was the story going to be about I thought that was really cool
1: I, I, yeah I appreciate that yeah I had a friend who worked in the same building as their offices and had said you know do you want me to bring them your books and i was like tell them that i am willing to do a comic for them for product you know meaning you don't have to pay me i'll write draw and ink it you just have to put it out you know, publish it and then give me a certain amount of those books that so i can sell them um so yeah i did my version of character designs of them i sort of gave them the oaf treatment printed that out made a little package I didn't have, I was just flying by the seat of my pants. I didn't really have a proposal. I was expecting <laughs> them to kind of write the comic and and then I would just sort of draw it or they could give me some ideas or whatever. I was incredibly naive because I had not had any experience with um, uh, development of, of other properties or anything like that. But, uh, you know, that would come later. So I didn't realize how much red tape potentially was attached to that. I just thought that they would want to collaborate with me you know <laughs> I, never, I never heard back <laughs> from them but i um within the last six months they did finally release their own comic um so i was glad to see that and i got kind of uh, followed some of the people who created it and had a nice little back and forth with them about it but yeah i wish there was more to to say about it i will say that i've seen them twice live and both times i wore an oaf shirt like the oaf in his pink underwear. And uh, my husband, the first time we saw them, was like, let's pay the extra to go backstage. And you can do a meet and greet and a, a photo with them. Um, so I wore the shirt and there's a picture of me with my arm around Ricky. Uh, and they love the shirt. They were like, that's great. And I didn't, in that moment, I didn't bring up that I had pitched to them. They obviously weren't going to remember. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Who knows what might have been. <laughs>
2: that would have been so cool.
1: Yeah, I have um, a couple, you know, near miss stories of drawing properties for things. There, were, I won't say the company that did it, but there was for a time a publisher that wanted to do a broad city comic. My love of that character, Bevers, who's kind of like the oaf of that that series, uh, they asked me to, to do a, a test cover for that and it, it never got published and it never went ahead. So it's another one of those what might have been sort of stories. But I often don't mix well with properties. I don't know if in your research you <laughs> saw that G- I did an official G.I. Joe cover that kind of blew up in my face. I might have talked about that when I came and visited <laughs> your school too. My take on things tends to not be quite ready for mainstream and you know people have to kind of come to it on their own terms. It kind of can't be forced on them.
0: Fair. How did the How did the G.I. Joe cover blow up? Was that an actual cover that G.I. Joe themselves posted?
1: Yeah, so Aubrey Sitterson took over the duties on writing the, let's say, a version of the IDW G.I. Joe comic, and he's doing a fantastic job and trying to do something different with it, more progressive with it. He also, as a big fan of indie comics and, and cartoonists, was asking indie artists to come on and do variant covers, um, which are essentially you have, the retailer has to buy a certain amount of the regular covers to get the special edition cover. So he asked uh, Benjamin Mara, uh, Tom Neely, a bunch of other sort of contemporaries. Both of those guys uh, worked on the Henry Glenn forever cartoon series that I also was a part of too. So he asked me to do more of like a homoerotic take on (laughs) GI Joe and my version of that was just like a little bit more of a wrestling thing, so you know, there's a bit more body contact, and I gave everybody body hair, and that was really the only thing that, that <laughs> I, I
0: changed. It always goes back to body hair.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, some folks got wind of it. Some websites did. I think Huffington Post was the first one to co- get in touch with me and say, "Oh, I hear you've done this. Would you like to do an interview?" And it was um, not signed off on by IDW or Hasbro, so. I went ahead and did the interview, and uh, it got picked up by, I think, um, RuPaul's website. And eventually it made it over to Tucker Carlson's uh, Daily Caller website. And they were (laughs) the ones that kind of broadcast, like, look at what they're doing to your G.I. Joe. They're like... (laughs) The way they were sort of talking about it, it was like I had put them in drag or something, which I absolutely had not done. I mean, they already are kind of in drag, um, but (laughs) but in military drag. Um, So it kind of blew up from there. And for a time, some of the comics gate people, for those who aren't familiar with that, there was a, a very right wing sort of misogynist, homophobic, racist contingent of uh, comics readers that exerted quite a bit of influence on social media and intimidated a lot of creators. And they tried that with me. They tried to say that my cover was really stereotypical and that it was aff- actually offensive to gay people. And I was like, well, well thank you for deciding what's offensive <laughs> to me as a gay man. I really, what's home I really appreciate that. And all I had to do was just send them a link to Tom of Finland who is one of the sort of uh, original artists um, did a lot of sort of leather imagery in the you fifties know, and sixties and seventies that kind of became the prototype for that leather culture. And I was like, if you, if you think I'm stereotypical, look at this guy, you know, created the entire aesthetic, like kind of wrote the book on, on this aesthetic is this stereotypical to you? And I mean, all I had to do is send that link and I didn't hear from them again (laughs) because I think they clicked on it and they saw something they couldn't unsee and I didn't give them what what they wanted. I didn't kind of come at them calling them names and getting really defensive. I just sort of took a sort of amused tact. I don't regret doing it at all. As I said, they never really came after me in the way that they, they have a lot of cartoonists um, at that time anyway. So much to the degree that I did dress up as a G.I. Joe character this past yeah, Halloween. Yeah, to the, again, I took it to the nines. Uh, I dressed up as Bazooka and have been actually doing a lot of G.I. Joe drawing and fan art lately. So I didn't, I wasn't so traumatized by it that I, I was afraid to kind of come back to it. But I mean, G.I. Joe certain characters in in the good guy side are kind of gay. I mean, they run around shirtless and stuff, but the Cobra villains are crazy, weird, you know, fetish uh, kind of. Some of their outfits are really wild, and I I really like um, the weirder ones there. So, again, I think G.I. Joe is similar to wrestling and and metal. It's kind of homo if you look at it from the right angle.
0: Well, that's the thing, because... It just makes me laugh that you know the people that were criticizing it, they're like, they're turning our G.I. Joe's gay. <laughs> it's like, well, they were already kind of gay. <laughs> no,
1: no. There's the one character, Gung Ho is the one that's that just has a, a vest on and no shirt on underneath it. And he's got a you know a Fu Manchu mustache. And I mean, I buy the toys too. They just released a sort of updated modern version and it just it, it doesn't get gayer than that. i but the character, you could take his clothes off too because it's you know it's, it's more of an articulated figure. And I was like, well, this vest is never going back on my version of Gung Ho. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, uh, characters in pop culture get adopted all the time by, by the gay community. And, uh, you know, I think G.I. Joe's time has maybe come, if it hasn't already.
0: Well, it kind of goes into as well, You know, one of the main, and I don't even know if this is intentional, but one of the concepts that I saw within the comics that's very similar to the G.I. Joe situation is that there's this toxic masculinity on the outside looking into the gay community of, oh, you can't be muscular, you can't be strong, and characters kind of like the oaf, and be gay, It's just not quote unquote manly. And I think it's awesome the comic that you write, not just for gay people, but also for, you know, just any man or someone who identifies themselves as male. They don't have to feel constricted to the normal format. Of what it's supposed to be like to be a man, because there shouldn't be a label of how any man, woman, non-binary person acts. They are who they are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're living in exciting times where mm-hmm. where the gender binaries obviously have been being tripped away at for decades, but there seems to be a really a real push to do that now. Um, that yeah, just the body that you inhabit doesn't dictate your gender expression at all. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I think. That's definitely going on and has been going on since the, the beginning of the Oath comic that these big guys, big hairy, masculine looking guys can can be queer and can be sensitive and you know can love all sorts of people. So and yeah, and then that, that can also that different body types can kind of also get together. Cause in the bear community for years, it was kind of bear on bear. It was just big guys for big guys and smaller guys were kind of ostracized. So I think that that's also kind of changing as well, that everything is mixing and becoming more diverse and more interesting. And everybody's just feeling more comfortable as a result of it. So, I mean, barring the sort of last prior to the current uh, administration, but uh, before that it, Things are starting to roll back a little bit, but I feel like hopefully that comfort and that ease is is coming back in and that it's becoming more acceptable again. At least the conversations are coming out more and more. Um, even as there's some pushback, um political pushback against it.
2: Another cool I I just <laughs> I don't know, I just love
0: learning about our guests. What else do we have? We got plenty. I'm just I'm just I'm just looking at you because I want you to get get some words in.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I want to talk about your merchandise.
0: Oh God, yeah, <laughs> I, I
2: thought it was really cool. So me and Austin were looking about it. Some of, you, oh, by the way, some of your drawings remind me of, especially the uh, the, I mean, the record, the record for Jackuloid. The cover of it reminds me of the images that Jimmy Hewlett from Gorillaz, he, like what he draws. I think that's really cool. Are you a Gorillaz fan?
1: Yeah, Gorillas definitely was the big influence on the Ejaculoid, um, and uh, the other band. They're sort of uh, opposite number. Their rival band is called Sphincterine. So, yeah, that was a big influence. The the fact that a cartoon band can start to release music. Yeah, I definitely um, wanted to be able to to do that and was lucky enough to have been able to be put in touch with a, a couple of local bands that kind of formed a little bit of a super group and became the band uh, Ejaculoid for the purposes of of recording. The, they were members of a local queer core band Limprist. Needles and Talk Is Poison. Um, all three Bay Area bands at the time, members of, of the those bands came together to record. So yeah, um, going back to the 80s, I was a big fan of Jem and the Holograms and Jem and the Misfits. Uh, where that was their rival band and they just, you know, did all sorts of, um, you know, battle song battles essentially during an episode of the cartoon. So I definitely wanted to have that dynamic going on as a, as an homage. Yeah. I just wanted the whole thing to kind of be as multimedia as possible. You know, you could hear the you could see the comic already, obviously, but I wanted people to also be able to hear it and smell it. Um, and that's where some of the scratch and sniff merchandise (laughs) yeah. Um, I just, uh, I was inspired by John Waters, the film director. He did a film called a polyester, and I think the early 80s, that actually came with Odorama. It was a scratch-off card that you were handed when you walked into the movie theater. And when a prompt came on the screen, you were supposed to scratch and sniff the a corresponding scent i think it was a number would pop up so i did personal scents for all of the the main characters sort of the three main characters so or actually oaf the smusher character and the band ejaculate um, all had scratches and so called i called them uh smell-o-drama um, instead of odorama <laughs> so it was very much ripping off uh john waters blessing
0: what what were the smells like because jay was asking and he he looked over because we were talking about it, he goes what the fuck would that even like, smell what, what like? What does the overwhelming oh <laughs> smell
2: like? Like, do you have a cat stickers? Cat? Well, I did not want to make them all gross because I think the John Waters
1: thing <laughs> right. that most of them were nasty. And, you know, growing up in the 80s, scratch and sniff stickers were a big thing. And I think the gross ones were, you know, um, maybe as popular as the, the you know, basic sweet smelling ones. But, um, you know, I just went to a website. They had promotional cards that you could infuse with a scent. Of course, they didn't have anything, you know, t- uh, too wild. Uh, so it was really the picture on the front of the card through the power of suggestion. I didn't tell anybody what the scents were, but I think Oaf, which was called Kitty Magnet, was marshmallow. Um, so it was kind of sweet, sort of vanilla smell. Uh, That was supposed to be the picture was him running down the street with cats sort of attacking him. Uh, The second one was pig in the city. And that was Smusher because he was in the boar bar from the comics. He was wearing little pig ears and a pig nose. That was just strawberry because Smusher is sort of a a strawberry uh, blonde character. And then the third one was the gross one that was a crowded tour van. And that was what Ejaculoid's van smells like. So I had wanted methane, you know, not to be too gross, but the (laughs) methane scent was actually more expensive than any of the other scents. Um, So I settled for hamburger.
2: Um,
0: (laughs) That's a solid secondary substitute for methane. (laughs) Methane stickers. Wow. That would have been something. I would have loved it. That was the one thing that really just bothered me was that I realized looking at all the merch that you've come out with Wubble Bloof I just I've I was born in the wrong time because if I could have I would have bought every fucking <laughs> merch that you came out with cuz god there was so much cool shit the ejaculoid guitar picks the oh, yeah yeah the sleep apnea record cuz I'm a huge record collector I collect a bunch of rap records and I just love any kind of unique record. If I find it, if I find a unique cover, I'll get it. Half of it to 75% of the records I have are music related. The other 25 to like half of them are simply just records I thought looked neat.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I'm a collector of all of that stuff too. I, I also mainly wanted to bring sort of artifacts from this two-dimensional world into the real world so yeah once once i found it you could do custom guitar picks i was like okay i'll pick out a different shape that Mm -hmm. kind of represents each band member um i put them on a little card with this thing called glue dots where if you get a credit in the mail it's it's adhered Um, so you could peel them off and actually use them if you wanted to um yeah um at a certain point i was very inspired by band merchandise too so yeah that music connection is definitely in there um doing patches Doing tour shirts for Ejaculoid. For one of the special edition versions, I did backstage passes with light up lanyards that had their logo on them. So that if you got the backstage pass, you could go back and meet the band, even though the band is not famous in the comic. They they thought they had to have backstage passes. So I just like the idea of giving people, you know, these artifacts from this fake cartoon world to, to make it sort of seem more real. And to, you know, to be honest at that point, I was courting publishers. I was interested in getting it developed into a cartoon. So I wanted to kind of almost prototype a lot of the things that if it had been, you know, turned into a cartoon could, you know, inspire the company that took it on to say, we could make a lot of money on the merchandise off of this. Like I I wanted to to do uh, some of that as well.
2: I could definitely, especially in this stage, you can definitely make that in a cartoon. I would see a large audience who would follow it, especially so all, like, I don't want to call it a niche, but, like, you definitely have, like, a, a strong audience, like we said, that you could t- totally follow it, get the legs on top of it, then, you know, a lot of people would watch it. Um, you mentioned, like, RuPaul. Like, I think it would probably be, like, a logo show, something on there. I know, like, um, Hot Topic usually sells, like um, – like Naruto cereal, you could do like Wavable O yeah. cereal. I, I'm sure I'd buy it.
1: Well, I, I don't think I talked about this when I came to speak at the school, um, but the truth of the matter is, it did get option for a cartoon, and uh, I, I don't want to talk too much about the specifics of it because there, there are you know things uh, I signed and, and stuff like that. I mean, enough time <laughs> right. has kind of passed that I could I could I, I can at least talk about that it was option, and I can tell you it was with a studio and creators that were. The exact one I would have wanted, and I was in the midst of uh, interviewing writers and and you know working with the the, the development studio on it. And their parent company closed them down. So it was a drift, and then the rights lapsed, and then that was it. The the rights are, are up again. But I got close. This was, I think, in uh 2018. Um, and it kind of wrapped up in 2019, early 2019, before the pandemic really hit. So yeah, it was it was uh it, it, I wouldn't say it got as far along as some things do in development. I was doing the, the character designs and stuff like that. And as I said, we were interviewing writers, but um, you know, most of the Things that get optioned, uh, especially comics, don't don't make it to a pilot, um, let alone get turned into a series. So I had done everything that I had sort of set out to do with that merchandising. I think that that was really what drew it in interest to to um, get it developed, but it just um, kind of lost steam in that way that that sometimes Hollywood deals do.
0: Yeah, and and I was gonna also because I was gonna ask: Is there any? Because we try to look so. Deep into guests and look for research. Is there anywhere that there's a animated wobblebble oaf concept, like the wobble oaf actually in motion?
1: Yeah. um over the course of years, animators, storyboard artists, most of them are interested in in not just cartoons but comics as well. So I think there's definitely one out there. and i'm I, I feel ashamed that the name of the animator, I think his name is Eric, and his last name is is escaping me right now, but he did a great um, running mm. oaf that you can find online um, uh, of him in just the pink underwear. So you can imagine what's jiggling in that, <laughs> but he, uh, I think his name is Eric Fountain actually. Um, so you may be able to find him online, but yeah, he did a, a great loop of the oath. Uh There was another artist, I think um, in, uh, I want to say maybe Brazil uh, who also did another one of him sort of falling in an almost anime kind of fashion from the ground with all these sort of streaks coming down like he's getting ready to sort of superhero land. Uh, so there've been a, a couple out there definitely but uh, but nothing to beyond that. Usually just for their reels. They were creating it for their animation reels, I think.
0: Gotcha. I also wanted to talk about going back to Trailer Park Boys. There's a ton of references in the lovable of series in general. I mean, I loved <laughs> – there's a Paula Dean song about just more butter.
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, that came out before all of the stuff <laughs> about her came out. And it's one of those many things that if you do put pop culture references, um, A, you're going to date yourself, and B, some of those may not age too well. I mean, the other <laughs> thing is Morrissey, who has – pretty much torched his career with this sort of right leaning beliefs, I guess you could say. Um, and that's something that I really struggle with. You know, I, I have not had a, a, a chance to address what was going on right. in, in the comic. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I love a pop culture reference because it's a way to connect to somebody immediately. And you see that a lot in, in comics and cartoons these days.
0: Yeah, and the one that stood out to me, because I've never met anyone else that knows what the fuck Strong Bad is.
1: <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Limousine, yeah, that's on one of the Ejaculoid members' uh, shirts. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was so like happy to see that someone else actually knew what that was. Also, we wanted to talk about a lot of your fan art stuff, because I think... There's some really cool themes that you presented in that that ended up being further emphasized in like Wobble Oaf. So, like, you found the Dangerine. Yeah,
2: Dangerine. That was pretty cool. Somebody took your art style and did a spin off of Wolverine, but instead of claws, it's penises.
1: Oh, I did that one, yeah. yeah. Oh, you did that one? Okay. danzig yeah, no, uh, yeah, that was back from the, when I was working on the uh, Henry and Glenn Forever um, comic, yeah. Yeah, because Danzig uh, wanted to be Wolverine back when the original X-Men movies started to come out. He was trying to get that role because, you know, he's like a shorter guy and kind of buff. Uh, but yeah, that's right, <laughs> I had forgotten, I, I totally did that, that drawing, Yeah.
0: And then we wanted to talk about too, because you had a comic series that I believe was either nominated or won an award, uh, Love is Love.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so uh Mark Draco, who is a great writer, has worked on so many DC properties. Um he uh put out a, a Pulse uh, nightclub after that shooting, a book. I think DC and Image also put it out as well. They um, they collaborated on it. That um, was a benefit book, essentially. And yeah, I did a, the last page in that is sort of all of the well, of characters coming together um, and, and trying to sort of say it's it's uh, together that we're going to kind of get through this. Um, and that book, yeah, um, it raised a ton of money for uh, the victims of that shooting and... Also, it won the Eisner uh, for Best Anthology that year.
2: Uh, We saw that you had a lot of, uh, you you won and been nominated for a lot of awards. Uh, The Imgrints or Imgins Award. It's really cool how accredited your comics is, like how many things, like accolades you've won. Thanks, yeah.
1: um, The uh, Ignatz Award uh, is part of the Small Press Expo. Yeah, um, Ignatz is a, 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 a cartoon character. Um, But yeah, uh, I've been nominated for two of those. I guess you kind of call them the, like, maybe the Golden Globes of comics. If, if the Eisners are the Academy Awards, then um, in the indie scene, uh, the uh, Ignatz Awards uh, at SPX are, are kind of like a similar vibe. So yeah, I got nominated, I think, for Artist of the Year, which, yeah, that was, that was the last award that they gave out, and I didn't win. But um, again, you know, it's always a, an honor to be nominated. An award I did win was uh, the Lambda Literary Awards, which is sort of the queer literary awards um, that are are put out um, out of New York City. And I I won best uh, graphic novel. They have a graphic novel ca- category, but they also um you know uh, have words for fiction, poetry, you know, any kind of uh, genre. Uh, you can name it uh, within. Um, Sort of uh, queer literature. Um, so yeah, I won the graphic novel award, and I believe it was 2017. The uh, the date they give it and the uh, date of the award are are confused. And I've seen it; I've won the 2016 one and the 2017 one, depending. Uh, but I really only uh, won it that one time. So again, that was a that was a hugely flattering, especially given who uh, is nominated for that every year. Um, it's always a really great group of of cartoonists.
0: Before we kind of wrap up, I wanted to also. I think it's important to, especially for both of us, to really just talk about and appreciate the story that you have given with The Wovable Oath, especially with, because you had said it in one interview, and I loved the way you put it. It was basically, there's so many queer comics or queer stories that talk about finding identity and finding who you are, and The Wovable Oath does a very interesting thing where he already knows who he is. He knows exactly what he likes. He's accepted for what he is by a lot of people. And what do you do after? You know what happens after you've battled that battle. You've you've gotten over the threshold. It's you know what what is your life now? <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely in the past have said some sort of arrogant things about (laughs) what I perceived my place or what I was trying to do in the queer comics world was. And I chalked that up to me, just kind of try to carve out my own space and maybe be a little bit provocative. Um, But yeah, it's true. I think that um, especially now more than ever, um, there's a lot of young adult queer comics and graphic novels coming out. So that story of coming out and accepting yourself is so important. And um, I just, because I was older, decided to make a comic about people who had already been out and are maybe getting a little bit older because I think that the emphasis is really on young queer people coming out. Uh, And that's, that's important. We need as much of that out there these days as is humanly possible. But I I did want to make a book where the characters have kind of already accepted themselves and, you know, they're not walking into the room proclaiming that they're gay Mm -hmm. because I don't do that. Um, You know, (laughs) I feel like I come and talk to folks and if they don't know me, they probably figure it out pretty quickly. And I kind of felt that way about the Oath book. I wanted people to be able to experience it on their own terms and open it up. And it's super obvious, What's going on within that? You know, if you just page through for a couple minutes um, or even seconds, depending on what page you land on. So, yeah, I, I think that um, you know, there's the queer comics genre is so huge and so diverse now that there's a place for everybody. But I definitely did want to have a, a story where everybody kind of comes to terms with themselves. And yeah, what's next? You know, maybe it's that search for love. You know, maybe it's it's trying to to find somebody out there, especially if you felt particularly unlovable or unlovable, you know, up to that point in your life.
0: Yeah. And going off of that, you know, you have a lot of the Oaf's worst dating choices and segments. Are any of those based off of what you've actually experienced?
1: Some of them definitely, especially the one about music taste, as I said.
0: (laughs) I I was going to say that one's got to be true.
1: Yeah, I feel an existential loneliness as a, a queer metal fan, especially like a brutal death metal fan. I, there are so many subgenres, but um, over the last couple of years, I've been super into death metal. And that's a, a genre that people that, that think they're metal fans, like gay metal fans, think they like death metal, but they don't like the type of death metal I like. <laughs> it's, it's sort of super underground. So yeah, that was a worse date um, because that's very much based on life experience. Um, definitely I, I you know have dated bigger guys who've been worried about hurting me <laughs> you know not getting too specific about that but like you know um, crushing somebody there's like a there's a, a brief story about that as well um, the cat thing you know having too many cats of uh, that you know that's not based on personal experience but I can imagine that happening to somebody so I wanted to um, show that that character had gone through a lot of terrible experiences based on who they were. They thought that they were unlovable, but ultimately end up finding somebody that can accept them for everything that, you know, they consider to be um, deal breakers in terms of making them undateable. Um, I wanted to show that there is somebody out there, hopefully for everybody.
0: What are the plans moving forward for the Oath?
1: The pandemic really knocked the wind out of me creatively. And I was working on a follow-up to the Oath, the two graphic novels that I put uh, put out. Um, a sort of prequel that explores uh, Oaf's first year as a professional wrestler. But I, I just had the wind just yanked out of my sails with the pandemic. And yeah, as everybody to varying degrees felt, almost as like existential you know, dread and, and, and threat, um, I had to bring it to basics. You know, I kind of went a little bit into survival mode and didn't work for a long time. So um, about actually a year ago from now in, in spring of 2021, I kind of picked my head up a little bit and started to do, you know, some of the fan art that we talked about, um, started to do some art for me. And that, that got me kind of back into things again. So currently I'm working on um, that prequel book still that's covering Oaf's first year as a wrestler, but they're an unexpected sort of almost memoir facet. I decided to add to it where I said, well, what was Eiffel doing back uh, at that time? And um, it, it's in the uh, mid nineties uh, that uh, we pick up in like 96 to, to 98 when Oaf was uh, a wrestler. Um, Eiffel uh, his would be boyfriend uh, is in high school. Um, so I wanted to kind of tell, my uh, experience from being young, what that was like being mm. um, sort of weird and gay and liking um, uh, music and, and being into things that uh, I didn't know any gay people at that time, but certainly didn't think any gay people would be into. So um, I've written a couple stories. I've released an issue uh, that's beginning to explore that. And I hope to eventually collect all of that and have that be the next uh, proper wobble of graphic novel. So a prequel cool looking at Oath, but also looking at kind of a more personal experience from my point of view in the character of Eiffel as a a young adult, basically. So yeah, working on that, um, working on a podcast like we all are uh, with uh, my friend and fellow creator Jack Foster, who does an incredible like hand-painted book, uh, watercolor book called Gun, um, G-U-N, which is kind of a noir um, take on on villains, uh, super villains. Uh, so we've been kind of over the last couple of months recording uh, a podcast about all of our mutual loves, um, whether it's film. We did a three-parter on G.I. Joe because we love G.I. Joe. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be kind of editing and putting out a, a first series on that pretty soon. And I'm starting to do shows again. Um, I'll be, I'm will be i not sure when this will air, but I'll be doing uh, Sacramento Comic Con as a special guest in a couple of weeks. Uh, there's a, a new queer comic convention happening in L.A. during Pride Month that I'll be at. And... I just uh, claimed my table at San Diego Comic-Con. So if everything goes well, I'll be back there again.
0: Awesome. Well, if you liked what Ed Luce was saying, if you like Ed Luce, then feel free to follow him on Instagram at Wovable underscore oaf, And feel free to buy the, the comics that we've been talking about for the show. Or you the know? merchandise. Or the merchandise. <laughs> There's plenty. Um, There's still there because now uh, most of it's, gone but there's still some that's on the website still to purchase um and you know the books themselves are gorgeous they're definitely a cool piece to have for any comic you know any comic book person um you know there's the one blood and metal and then there's the first one is the first one just called the lovable oaf
1: yeah it's just called lovable oaf um yeah that's the the first big book that um collects the first uh five issues and then uh a couple dozen uh, short stories uh, in the back matter of that as well. Yeah.
0: Perfect. And yeah, feel free to just, like I said, follow him on Instagram, check out what the Wobble Oafs doing next. And then if you like the show, if you liked what we were talking about, you like us, feel free to follow us at the random rundown, no underscore, no nothing. We're We're the first one. (laughs) Um, The only one. Yeah. So feel free. And Ed, thank you so much again for joining us. It's been a blast. We are glad you got to spend some time and we're glad you got to spend a lot of time with us. So,
1: yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, and the great questions too. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the different aspects of, of what I do.
0: Yeah, no problem. <laughs> you have a good one. You See too. Ya.
1: Thanks, guys. Take care. Of her.